So please stand for the reading of God's word from Isaiah 50, verse 10. Um, If you want to read along in your pew Bible, you can find it on page 611. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Good morning again. Long time no see. That was a joke. Uh, Not a very good one. And that's fine, because that's my level right now. So if that's your level, you're in good company. It has been uh, an excruciating uh, two weeks. Um, I want to briefly acknowledge again that we are all likely in different places in our response to what was shared. Let me exhort us again to gentleness and grace with one another, to stressing relationship. May we genuinely strive to love each other and seek the Lord. Uh, If you are just visiting, we're going through something difficult as a church. I'm going to have to leave it at that for today, but I'm so glad that you are here, and my prayer is that today's message would meet you nonetheless right where you are. But we are pivoting uh, to a short three, maybe four-week series that I'm calling Walking in Darkness, uh, hoping to address the moment that we find ourselves in as a church. I don't want to make life all about that but it felt wrong to simply gloss over it and continue on to something else. So we're going to cover some themes, uh, themes about how we experience uncertainty, how we deal with suffering and pain, uh, how we walk in wisdom, faith, and love in times like this, both as a community and and times that are maybe just as bad for us individually, uh, for other things that we have gone through or will go through. And today's text gives us the title of our short series, Walking in Darkness, and invites us to consider when darkness comes into our lives, and at least for a time the light seems to fade, what do we do? How should we live? How can we live? I want to explore what the text shows us about this by looking at, first, the reality of darkness, second, listening in the darkness, and third, walking in the darkness with a friend. So the reality, listening, and walking in the darkness with a friend. Before we get into that, I'd invite you to bow your heads and let's pray and ask God to fill up our time in his word. Lord, we bring ourselves before you yet again this morning in the shadow of your wings. Having heard at the outset of our service that we can be still and know that you are God. We can be still and know that you are. We can be still and know we can simply be still and be before you who was and is and is to come. So we ask in the spirit of your own invitation that you would quiet our hearts now before you, 
that whatever sits in our soul that is like a pebble in a shoe, that is like gravel in our teeth, that you would help us to let these things go and that we might relax our grip on our life, that we would let go of the things that are difficult, that you would remove the thorns in our side for a moment, that we might, like clouds parting on a rainy day, have just a vision of the sun, even if only briefly, to be reminded that, of course, it is still there. So would you be that light that breaks through as we certainly walk in darkness? In your Son's name and by your powerful Holy Spirit, I pray, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, feel free to have them open to this passage. This is maybe the shortest passage that I will ever preach for you all. Um, there could be shorter passages. This was the energy I had for this week. I thought, do I need to do the whole chapter? Do I need to bring in other verses? And then I thought, no, 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 Travis. You will be lucky if you can do one verse. So this is where we are. Uh, we will still go back through parts of the text, but I can't say, look at verse 8, and look at because we have one verse. So we're going to look at words within those verses. But first, we're going to look at the reality of darkness. Our text expects, hear me say that, our text expects that those who follow the Lord, those who, what our text says, fear, or you could say reverence him, those who uh, obey, or maybe better said, listen to him, that's, those are all ways of saying those who, who follow the Lord, his servant will walk in darkness. It is not an if passage. This is a when passage. That may not come across as clearly in our uh, Pew Bible translation there. A better translation might say, who among you fears the Lord and listens to his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. The original text doesn't quite get into the exhortation so early. There's a connection between the descriptors. Someone who fears the Lord and listens to him and the person who walks in darkness and have no light are joined together. It's describing the same person who is in the same reality. It hasn't gotten to the instruction yet. That, that let him instruction part comes in a bit too early in our translation because the passage is still describing someone. It's not teaching yet. It's, it's announcing in some ways. It's talking about walking in darkness and making a connection for us between following the Lord and walking in the dark. This means that to follow the Lord is, at least at times, to be a person who walks in darkness. The two go together. They are not separate. So having uncertainty, struggles, fears, pain, these things are a part of, not outside of, they are a part of the life that follows, that listens to, that fears and reverences God. So walking in darkness, sitting in the midst of uncertain times, sitting in fears and pain and danger is not an indication that you have left the path of God. But as one commentator, Alec Motyer, notes, it's actually intrinsic to the life of obedience to be someone who at least at times walks through darkness. 
In other words, walking in darkness is part of the nature of following God as a Christian. It is to be expected. It is part of the normal experience. It is not abnormal. It is normal. It's the way that things go. So yes, we are walking in uncertainty and fear and pain as a community right now, but that does not mean we are outside the will of God or life with God. This is just what, at times, life with God, the will of God, looks like. Sometimes being a Christian looks like going through uncertainty and pain, and nothing in that is outside of God's plan for you. The question, according to our text, is not if darkness and difficulty will come, but what do we do when it comes? That's what our text is getting at. That's what chapter 5010 is getting at. It's showing us what to do when darkness comes into your life in connection with being a follower of God. And it's trying to help us see what we do when this happens because our natural impulse is to avoid darkness at all costs rather than to walk in it rightly as God may call us sometimes to do. Uh, there's an author, David D'Amico, in his book, Faces of Rage, that explains that when we are faced with loss, uh, when we face darkness and uncertainty, we resist letting that touch our emotions. We try to keep it at bay from us by one means or another rather than pass through it for whatever time it takes to get through it. We are like those of us, maybe, I won't acknowledge that this is me, maybe it's me, who are constantly looking at Google Maps and trying to find a way around the traffic. Spiritually, that is what we do. We are trying to find a way around the traffic, but sometimes the only way, in fact, the right way, is to just sit in the darkness that is traffic. And I'm sure we can all give an amen that it is darkness. But we try, D'Amico says, to keep these things at bay. Instead, we set up what he calls mechanisms of avoidance. Uh, these are escape routes from dealing with our real feelings connected with real losses. We all tend to find ways to run or hide from the things that we don't want to experience and sit in. He gives some examples of what this can look like. He says it looks like throwing tantrums. If you're older, we still throw tantrums, okay? I'm not picking on kids in here. We usually shout and you are aggressive. Or it can look like pouting, sulking. Many of us can be passive aggressive. Not that we can't be rightly angry, but we do anger in the wrong way. We are using it to avoid pain said it can also look like acting like this doesn't bother us. We're just putting on a smile. You need to be positive. You need to grin and bear it. That's a way of avoiding. He said it can look like retreating into shame and isolation. We condemn ourselves. How could I have thought this? How could I have believed this? Why was I so stupid and hiding and isolating and not talking to anyone? says we can avoid by losing ourselves and our feelings in compulsive behaviors. We medicate and numb so that we don't have to think about it and we don't have to feel it. Not that there aren't right times to take breaks and have distractions and some lightness, but we plunge ourselves into 
medicating and numbing rather than experiencing. He says, lastly, that we can also just become cynical about our world to wall ourselves off from feeling anything, just saying, this is always how it is. This is the way these things go. I should have known better. Of course this would happen, right? That, that just have to expect this. When we do these things, we do not actually enter into the pain and the darkness that has come into our lives and deal with it. We just avoid it. We try to go around. D'Amico explains these things become for us a self-protective shield we use to avoid loss and loss-threatening circumstances or events. They give us a false sense of control as they distance us from the natural and healthy emotions connected to past or potential significant losses that seem unmanageable. He's saying we develop habits that allow us to run from pain rather than walk through the darkness. We don't have a when mentality most of the time. We have an if mentality. And if we can do everything possible, then we won't experience darkness. And so we build walls and systems and avenues for ourselves to avoid walking through the darkness that has come our way. We avoid doing the things that if we let them experience, if we let ourselves experience them, would actually help us heal. And I'm not trying to come down on us because the reality is pain and suffering hurt. We naturally recoil from walking in darkness, from going through things that seem like if we let them come into our lives and we really engage with them, if we let that happen, we will be crushed. We will never be the same again. We will never be happy again. Of course, when we feel that, we would try to hide. You feel like you're facing two impossible things, and so we try to make do with a lesser, stifled, shrunk-down humanity rather than feel like we'd have nothing left, rather than we feel like we'd have none of us left. We don't feel like we have it in us to be in the uncertainty that would be required by entering into what's come. So we make coping mechanisms habits. We instinctively use them. As D'Amico says, over a lifetime, our escape routes become so well-worn that we rush down them without a thought. We don't even notice that we do these things anymore. We don't notice that we've become cynical and just said that's the way it is. We don't notice that we have a grin and bear it kind of mentality. We don't notice that we medicate and numb, that we shame and isolate. They are just second nature. They are what we do. We never stop to realize, he says, that our refusal to stand firm and deal responsibly with reality keeps us, and hear this, on the run. So while avoiding the dark seems like it spares us, all it does is actually keep us on the run from reality and healing. It keeps us on the run from the reality that darkness has come into our world and we must deal with it. It seems like safety, but all escape mechanisms are just teaching us to keep running. So darkness will come. 
we're prone to run from it, to not actually heal. So how then, if it will come, we're prone to not heal, how does our text teach us to respond if running is not the answer? That gets us to our second point, to listening in the darkness, because our text tells us we face it at least partly by listening. It says, who among you, who among you fears or reverences the Lord, and I think a better translation, and hears the voice of his servant? Hear, obey, they could be synonyms at time, but the one who walks in darkness is one who is listening to God. It's a picture, if we think about it, about one sense being diminished, our sight. You're walking in darkness, you can't see, you have no light. But another sense, hearing, is continuing on. Now, it can feel very disorienting to have a sense not work all of a sudden. Some of us got COVID and lost our sense of taste and smell. And that was very disorienting. Some of us are still there and you are just cramming as much salt as you can on something to try and bring those taste buds back. But it's very disorienting to not know when will this come back? When will I be able to sense something again? Because it's destabilizing to not have that. And walking in darkness is exactly like that. When you walk into a room that is all of a sudden pitch black, it does kind of stop you for a minute. Younger ones in here, I'm just going to tell you a secret. When you get older, that doesn't stop. It's not like you stop being afraid of the dark. You just know where the lights are and you turn them on faster. That's all. But darkness still stops us in our tracks for a moment and we're disoriented because we can't see. Suddenly our sight, which, which if you have sight, is so instrumental to the way that you live your life, suddenly that's gone and you don't know what to do. And sight in some ways is a picture here for stability, for predictability. When we don't see where pain and suffering will lead, when we can't see the end of where this uncertain time goes, we easily become distressed. We easily look for those escape routes. We look for those things that will distract us. Our sense of certainty and stability has stopped working, and we don't know what to do now. But the text reminds us that, yes, darkness has veiled certainty from our sight for a time. We don't know what will come next. But we still have the ability to listen, to hear. You can hear the Lord even when you cannot see what he is doing. I want to say that again. You can still hear from the Lord even when you cannot see what he is doing. Hear me say that to you this morning. You can still hear the Lord even when you cannot see what he is doing in this moment, in your life, in your relationships. In your struggles, in your heart, you can still hear the Lord. Yes, your sight is saying, warning, warning, trouble, uncertainty. There's no light here. We can't tell what's going on. We have no input. We don't know what to tell you. We don't know where to go. While one sense is panicking, another sense is able to say, I can still hear my God. I can still hear his voice. I can still hear him speaking to me. I can still listen. 
yeah, I can't see, but I can rely on more than what I see. This is what Donald McLeod, a Scottish theologian, explains that Jesus had to do as our Savior in suffering on the cross for our sins to actually trust in the dark, to trust beyond what his eyes, his senses could see. Jesus Christ was the God-man, both truly God and truly man, which means he has truly a human experience, fully a human experience. You and I do not know everything. Jesus entered into that finite constraint, allowed himself to be limited while still being divine at the same time. And as truly human like us, McLeod explains that Christ, quote, had to learn to obey the Father without knowing all the facts and to believe without being in possession of full information. He had to forego the comfort which omniscience, knowing all things, would have brought to his human frailty. He says this was absolutely, surely a factor of the expression of Jesus crying out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says there the assurance of the Father's love, the sense of Jesus' own eternal sonship and the certainty of his victory over sin and death were all for a time eclipsed. And he had to complete his obedience on the cross as one who walked in darkness, knowing only that he now was sin and that he was banished to the outer darkness for us. McLeod says that on the cross, Jesus suffers as one who does not have all the answers and who in his extremity, pushed to the limits, has to cry out, why? Why? Jesus himself, if you are sitting in a moment when you are just asking God, why? He's been in that moment. Jesus himself walked in an unimaginable darkness, not knowing exactly what it would be like to experience something that God had never experienced for himself, which is death. to cross over into that divide, to be completely cast out for our sin. He sweated blood under the weight of that uncertainty over just anticipating it. He touched that uncertainty for us as our Savior because of his great love for you. And even more than we might experience darkness now, he had to walk in that darkness without the assurance that this passage provides, that we can hear the voice of God still in the dark, because Jesus cried out on the cross, and instead of hearing the assuring voice of his Father as he did at his baptism, he hears nothing, silence. He cried out, and was not answered. He was not able in the dark to see, to hear, to sense the presence of God the Father. 
as the embodiment of sin that he was in that moment, as one taking our place for all of our sin, he experienced in full what sin does to our humanity. It turns us blind, deaf, mute. It makes us incapable of of feeling or even so much as smelling our way towards God. It robs us of any sense of God's presence and any desire, any taste for it. Jesus entered in to that experience. He became what we are in sin so that not only would we rise in him, forgiven and free, but so that when we go through dark moments here and now, we can walk through the uncertainty without losing what he lost, without losing the voice and the presence of God. Jesus Christ lost these things so that you would never have to. So that, yes, like him, you will walk in darkness as one who follows the Father, but you can still hear his voice. Friends, this is how we walk through our time of darkness. Through the power of Christ who faced darkness for us, who keeps it from crushing us by letting it crush him. When you feel this week and in the coming weeks like the darkness of your individual life or our communal life right now is just crushing you, remember that it is not given that authority. It does not have that power. Jesus took that from it at the cross and he broke it and it has no more authority to crush you than it did to crush him and he has risen from the grave. And if it cannot keep him down, it will not keep you down. Christ has you. He will not yield you. The darkness does not own you. Jesus owns you. Do not give it that authority. He paid too much. Don't let it own you. His help comes for you, and it comes not at some far-off distance. How many times maybe in our lives do we feel like God just isn't anywhere near me? Like he's not really chasing me down. But the reality of this passage is that that we don't walk through darkness just by some distant, faint experience or recollection or echo of the voice of God, but actually by the personal presence of God walking in darkness, not outside, sitting comfortably in a recliner, eating a bowl of Cheetos, being like, you got this, keep going. No, God gets out of his comfort, gets down in the mud and the darkness with you and walks in these things like a friend. I want to bring out in our final point here how that comes out in our text, that we actually walk through darkness with a friend. Because the text calls us not just to be those who listen for God in the dark, but it says what? It says to trust in the name of of the Lord and rely on our God. When that word Lord you see there is actually in the Hebrew Yahweh as best as we can translate it. It's an invitation, we're going to talk about this more, to know God in a personal way amidst the uncertainty to rely on someone you know, to pick up the phone and talk to a friend. 
The divine name written here, as we said, is Yahweh. That's his personal name that God gave to his people. We show that, or we see that show up notably in Exodus 3 at the burning bush. God tells Moses to tell his people, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. This is my name. He says, I am the Lord your God. God is Elohim. That's his category. He has the category of God, divine. We have the category of human, limited. God is not his name. Yahweh is his name. That's his personal name. He invites his people to know him, to trust him in a personal way. I'll give you an example of how this works in our own lives. Some of y'all may have the same experience. You have a first name that you don't go by. You go by your middle name. This is true for my dad. His first name is Arthur. He goes by Scott. So when I was little, anytime someone would call the house and say, can I speak to Arthur? I'd go, boom. (laughs) Why? Because you don't know my dad. Hmm? You know a first name. You know someone. You know their given name. Someone says, yeah, my name is Steve, but my friends call me fill in the blank. When you know that nickname that someone calls you by, you know them. They know you. You are on a friend basis with them. Yahweh is the name God revealed to invite his people to know him as a friend, to say, call me anytime. My friends call me Yahweh. Text says, when you're in darkness, you can rely on God as someone who knows him as a friend, who knows what his friends call him. Because the invitation of our text is not to trust the idea of God in general. It says, trust in the name of the Lord, not the idea of God. Trust in someone that you can know personally, someone that you can call on, someone who knows you so well. It's his personal name we're invited to trust when we walk in darkness, to know him not just as a power, but as a friend. No one is telling you, look to the universe for a sign. The universe is trying to tell me, no, no. Scripture and Christianity says, God, a knowable, infinite being, desires to know you, to make himself known to you, to make himself available to you, to call on as a friend. We see this explicitly in Scripture. God calls himself our friend, calls himself the friend of individual people. In Isaiah 41.8, God calls himself Abraham's friend. And if you remember, Abraham wasn't always the greatest guy. He calls him a friend of Abraham. It says, but you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. You whom I took from the ends of the earth, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. The friend of Abraham is a friend of you. John 15, 5, Jesus says to his disciples, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father... I have made known to you. God treats his people as friends. Wants you to rely on him in the darkness like he really is a friend that you can call on. God is, again, not sitting in some far-off distant place thinking, ah, 
We'll see what happens. God is waiting and eager, not even waiting, running out to you, ready to walk beside you in this moment. He has not left you. He will not leave you. He says, never will I leave you or forsake you. Always then you have your friend, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, walking with you every step of your day. When will I forsake you? Never will I leave you or forsake you. You can always trust in the name, the personal relationship, Relationship that you have with God and Jesus Christ and rely on the God who walks with you. Always. Even now. Always. Always. See, God knows darkness is so much more challenging and painful when you feel so alone. And trust is so much richer when it's personal. So in darkness, God offers us his presence, not just his power, his relationship, not just his infinity. God wants you to walk through darkness, not alone, but with a friend. God doesn't say, use the force, Luke. You can do it. I was just watching Star Wars with my kids recently, so that came to mind. No, God doesn't say that. He's not the voice of Obi-Wan Kenobi somewhere off in the ether. He says, here I am. Follow me. I've walked through darkness to get to you. I'm going to walk you out of darkness to get to me. So how do we apply this to our current moment to our uncertainty and our struggle. I want to encourage you to do two things this week and in the coming weeks, to use your other senses and don't avoid, okay? Use your other senses and don't avoid. First, use your other senses. Things right now certainly will not make sense to you or to me. There is nothing right now but uncertainty and confusion for any of us. If anyone feels like they have certainty about what is going to happen next, they do not have that certainty. I do not have that certainty. We are always, even in times uh, like this, in the hands of God. He is our certainty and has our certainty, but we don't have that. But because one or more of our senses, our ability to understand our world, our ability to see what's coming next, because those senses are struggling, does not mean that we are without hope. We can, again, still hear the voice of the Lord. His word will still speak to you. When you can't see this week, I want to encourage you, remind yourself, I can't see right now, but I can still listen. It's been helpful for me even today. Say, I can't see right now, but I can still listen. I can still hear the voice of the Lord. I can still open my Bible, my Bible app, and I can hear the voice of God speaking to me. I can still hear from Him in prayer in my heart. So I want to encourage you more practically than to, to just try one time today, maybe one time this week, to substitute one time where you would have run away from experiencing and just sitting in the darkness. 
from just letting the pain come in and letting that get processed, for substituting one way you would have looked for a distraction or escape, and instead spend five minutes just letting a psalm or some part of the gospel speak to you. You don't have to read it. You just press the app where it says play, and it talks to you. We live in an amazing time, right? You don't even have to read. Someone will just talk for you. Spend five minutes instead of running with just sitting in it and listening. You can still hear when you can't see. Listen this week. May we all listen. May I listen to hear the voice of the Lord as we walk in darkness. And secondly, try not to avoid this pain and uncertainty by just running from it. It is hard to face the pain of this moment, the uncertainty that our church is in. But God invites us to do that with Him, not alone. He invites us to heal in relationship rather than run and be both alone and without healing. That's what running does for us. It keeps us alone and it keeps us from not healing. Sitting in these things, painful as it is, both gives us companionship and invites us into healing. So I want to invite us to do that with each other, to not put a silver lining on things, to not just say it's all going to be okay, to not just say, I'm sure this happened or that happened or I don't know and I don't care and it's just the way things go, but to just sit in it, to be gentle with each other, to maybe say, you know what, I'm not ready to talk about this right now, but I'm okay sitting next to you. I can just be present Can we be gentle with one another and not do the the things that we are naturally prone to do, to trying to figure it out, to trying to recover our sight, to try to fix it, to try to guess what's coming next? Can we just sit together in this maybe? Can we just be present and not do so much to just avoid it, to sit in the confusion and the sorrow and the uncertainty, to not have the answers, but to have the Lord and each other and rely on our God? Because the reality is pain has come. We don't know what happens next, but we know what has happened now that we have a church that is different than we thought we had. We are not sure what's coming next, and we can't change that, but we can engage it in a way that lets us heal and draw near to the Lord while we sit in uncertainty. I want to leave you with this quote from D'Amico. It says, when we allow ourselves to experience pain, hope begins to enter in. Yes, it reminds us of the loss, which always hurts. But the reminder of the loss helps us clear a path through the pain to a new shore. When we get there, we will be different. So will our world. Hope helps bring us to acceptance. Never ignoring or erasing loss or pain, hope teaches us to respect and honor loss. It brings dignity to pain, makes us stronger, more authentic, more understanding of others whose losses mirror our own. Friends, the Lord will bring us to a new shore. If the Revelation showed us nothing, the Revelation series showed us nothing else, I hope it showed us that. And God will bring us, even now we can be confident, to a new shore of hope. We will be different so will our world. But by His grace, by His presence, we will be stronger, more authentic, 
and understanding. Because darkness is not the end. It is only something we walk through with the Lord to a brighter shore. Let's pray. I'd like to leave a few moments for you to, to talk to the Lord in your heart about the things that we've just talked about, about anything in our service, maybe inviting you to thank God for the ways that, that you have seen Him walking with you in the darkness. Or confess the ways that, that really what you've not wanted is His presence. What you really want is just to see and understand how all this is going to work out. You're sort of saying, God, I don't need you near me. Just tell me what's going to happen. Maybe confess that. Maybe ask God to help you listen to hear where he's speaking right now, to lead you to a new shore. Let's, let's spend a few moments. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you tell us your name, that you invite us to call on you as a friend, and so we call on you now as our friend. Would you be with us? Would you walk with us? Would you be our good shepherd and carry us forever? In your son's name and by your spirit we pray. Amen.